بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والحمد لله وكفى الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين so we're continuing now um, the next section that ibn al-qayyim rahimahullah he mentions is remembrance may replace supererogatory acts dhikr may replace supererogatory acts continuous remembrance can replace supererogatory deeds whether they be physical monetary or both such as a supererogatory pilgrimage this is clear from hadith in which Abu Hurairah anhu transmitted. The poorest of the muhajirun, the immigrants to Medina, they came to the Messenger وسلم, and said, O Messenger of Allah, the wealthy have taken the highest degrees and eternal happiness. They pray as we do and they fast just like we do, but they also have the advantage of wealth. So they came to the Prophet and they complained that we're poor, we just migrated. We don't have anything. The people that are wealthy, the, well, the, the, the Muslims that have more money than us, they're the ones that are, they have an edge because we do uh, the same deeds as them, fasting, prayer, but they also have money and they can spend in Allah's path, which they, they use this wealth to go on the greater and lesser pilgrimage. So because of their money, they get to go for Umrah, they get to go for Hajj, um, and, they, and, they, and they get to combat as well. The Messenger Sallallahu said, Shall I teach you something by which you can catch up with those who have surpassed you and surpass those who are behind you? Something in which no one can better you unless he does as you do. Okay, so they complain to the Prophet they get they have money, they get to do all these good things, they get to go for Umrah, they get to go for Hajj, uh, they have an advantage, they basically get to be better Muslims than we do. So the Prophet says, okay, let me tell you something that you can do that you can surpass them and you can surpass anybody with this. So she, he said, should I tell you? And so they said, by all means, Messenger. So I said, sure, tell us. So he says, you glorify, praise, and magnify Allah after every prayer. Right? SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar. And the, the hadith is in uh, Imam Bukhari, uh, his, ta- his book. And uh, it's referencing the SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah, and Allahu Akbar 33 times after each salah. Um, for them... Prophet he replaced with remembrance the Hajj, Umrah, and combat that they were unable to do and told them that they could surpass all of these through dhikr. The wealthy heard about it. So let's take a step back. So uh, the Prophet gives them something that they can do that can surpass it, right? And so we often find ourselves in this predicament that like, I don't have the resources that other people have for deen. I don't have a car, so I can't go to the masjid. I don't have money, so I can't donate uh, sadaqah. I'm not zakat. I'm not eligible to pay zakat, so I don't get the reward of zakat. Uh, I have, um, you know, I'm a student, uh, so I, uh, and I have classes from this time to this time, so I can't go to the masjid. You know, I can't do irtikaf this year because I have a big exam and, you know, and my parents really want me to focus on it, right? So we have all these restrictions that are placed on us. And then we see people, we see, we always see the grass being greener on the other side. So-and-so, look, they always get 10 days of time for Ertigaf. Look, so-and-so, they always get to go to Hajj every single year because they have a lot of money and I don't, you know, the, the so-and-so, you know, they, he has a car, he gets, to, he gets to go to programs and I'm just stuck at home and my parents want me to stay home and all this stuff. Um, but the Prophet is really highlighting to us that, look, this same problem that we complain about today, this existed at the time of the Sahaba as well. There were Sahaba that had less resources than other Sahaba, and they were concerned that they were being outdone in, in terms of their deen. But the Prophet said, okay, fine, take this. And he gives them, what does he give them? He doesn't tell them, go get a job and make more money so that you can compare with them. He says, engage in Allah's remembrance, and you will surpass them. Despite them spending wealth and traveling for Hajj and Umrah with that wealth, what? I'm giving you just something to recite after each salah and you will surpass them. So, um, 
the couple of lessons. Number one is that you don't need resources when it comes to deen. Uh, if you want to excel in deen, there's enough for every single person um, that you don't need resources. You know, we think that it's money dependent on money, dependent on physical body, dependent on you know cars, etc. But it's not. The playing field. Uh, the, the second lesson is that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He's kept the playing field even. When it comes to ability to draw closer to Allah, everybody has the same opportunity, right? It doesn't matter how much money you have or how little money you have. It doesn't matter how much time you necessarily have or how much time you don't have. It doesn't matter who your family is, etc. The playing field is even. Whatever resource, and then that's 50% of your wealth or 50% of sacrifice that you've had to make. Now, you could have $10, and if you give $5 away, monetarily, there's a significant difference, but proportionally, they're the same. The same degree of sacrifice, 50% of your wealth you gave away, you'll inshallah get that same reward and that same ability to draw closer to Allah. So it's not worth the frustration. It's not worth frustration. Like, I don't have this, I don't have that. You don't need all that to get closer to Allah. Sit and do dhikr, you'll get closer to Allah in that way. You don't need money for that. It doesn't cost money to, to, to sit and dhikr. Now, it's difficult for us to do because, you know, sitting and, and remembering Allah is a, it's a little bit difficult, whereas, you know, it's a little bit more glor uh, glorious to have money and go for umrah and hajj and it feels better. Right. But that doesn't mean that you're getting more benefit. Right. So the feeling that you get from something, it does not translate necessarily into the benefit that you're receiving from that thing. So the, the second lesson is that, so is that Allah Ta'ala has kept the playing field even. You're judged according to your individual circumstances. It's no, there's no point in competing over resources and comparing yourself to someone else. Because whatever you have been given, if you maximize on what you've been given, you will achieve success in deen. You will achieve success in deen. You know, the playing field is even in every aspect of deen. Wealth, you know, the Prophet said in a beautiful hadith, uh, that verily you are not uh, favored or better than someone else just because you're black or because you're red, because of your skin tone, right? The Prophet eliminated racism well before the rest of, of humanity, the rest of the world did. He got rid of it up front and said there's no difference. The playing field is even, doesn't matter what your background is, what your ethnicity, what your race is. And really, from these hadith we learn, even what your wealth is. Um, uh, except those people that exceed in taqwa. Taqwa is really the, is what really, and, and, and to become a muttaqi, it's not dependent on how much money you have. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive, or if you even have a car. It doesn't matter what kind of home you live in. It doesn't matter. Okay. So then, this is interesting, because then the wealthy from that time, <laughs> they heard about this. So they, they began practicing the same thing. SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah, Allah, but after each thing, adding it to the charity and devotional practices that they could perform with their wealth, thereby achieving two sorts of excellence. <laughs> so they came back with the upper hand and said, well, we could do the same thing, right? But, you know, so the muhajirun, the one, the one, they didn't have the wealth, they... they uh, the, the, the muhajirun who vied with them told the messenger sallallahu that they now shared this practice with them and so again they had been set apart by something that the poor could not do so they took advantage uh, the people that were wealthy they did the same thing so then the prophet sallallahu said so beautifully he said that is the grace of allah the prophet said he gives to whomever he wills right so you know it's um uh, there's always opportunity for every single person so now the wealthy could complain and be like hold on i'm the one that has to like you know, make work my uh, work, uh, work my tail off to earn a lot of money so that I can donate it and go for Umrah and Hajj. And this person sitting here and just doing, you know, Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, after our Salah, and they're getting more reward than I'm getting. That's not fair. So then you can, there's always a counter to that. You can always adopt that practice as well. Um, you know, and uh, 
there's always, you know, wealth could be a double-edged sword as well, right? So you might say, well, they have the full advantage. But remember, on the Day of Judgment, the people that have the most money, they're going to be the ones that are most questioned because you have to account for all, every single uh, penny that you earned and every money that you spent. And the shorter the accountability on the Day of Judgment, the better life is, the better, uh, the better it is for us. You know, the, the Sahaba, they used to be fear, they used to be afraid, not they used to be afraid of obviously their deeds and their sins, but they used to be uh, equally afraid um, of the mere fact that they have to stand before Allah and take account, right? And this is why the Prophet would recommend making the dua that uh, that uh, Allah Ta'ala enter you into Jannah without reckoning, right? You could say, well, why does it matter? I'll, if I get to Jannah, I'll get to Jannah any way I want. But it's that reckoning and accountability that's anxiety-provoking to have to stand and have to account. So the people that are wealthy, they have to answer for every penny they've earned and stand before Allah Ta'ala and answer. So, grass always seems looks greener on the other side. Someone has more money than you, it always looks better. But guess what? That person's going to stand longer before Allah and the Day of Judgment have to answer for their wealth. Then on the flip side, the wealthy person could say, well, why do I want to earn wealth? Well, if that wealthy person uses their wealth and they spend it abundantly in the path of Allah, now they have the upper hand. So it keeps flipping back and forth. The idea is whatever Allah has given you, don't, don't, don't try to... Don't be concerned with what, what you can can't get from the dunya. Whatever Allah has given you, maximize on that opportunity. That's the goal. Okay. Um, in a hadith uh, by uh, Abdullah ibn Bishr, a Bedouin, uh, came and said, O Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this is kind of uh, the next se section. It's the same point though. Uh, the, he said, O Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the rules and laws of Islam have become too much for me. The rule, rules and laws of Islam have become too much for me. Tell me about something general that will be enough for me. Like, have we heard this before? Man, why is everything so, why is everything haram? You know? Why are things so difficult, right? Well, this last week Oreos became haram or something? They didn't, but that was like the, that was like this, 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 I don't, I don't know. That was like this, yeah. Um, is that our midnight snack tonight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, you know, so like this is like a very common complaint. Like, why is everything haram? Why is why is Islam so difficult, right? So again, this complaint existed at the time of the Prophet ﷺ as well. Somebody came to Prophet ﷺ and said, "Why is it all about laws and do this and do that and don't do this and don't do that? Like, give me some, tell me something general that will be enough for me." The Prophet ﷺ told him, "Keep to the remembrance of Allah Most High," meaning engage in the dhikr of Allah Taala. Because there's no laws to the dhikr of Allah, right? There's no, like, you don't have to do it. Uh, it's an optional thing. Do it. They'll do it. Um, and then the person asked, and that will be enough for me, O Messenger of Allah? So I said to him, the Prophet said, yes, and it will give you sometimes more besides it. You might even get more. So the, uh, the Prophet directed him to something that would encourage him to keep the laws of Islam and to accomplish as many of them as he could. Because if he took the remembrance of Allah as his watchword, it would make him beloved to Allah. It would make what is loved by Allah loved by him. Look, the commandments of Allah, the do's and don'ts of Islam, these are, these are things that are expected of us and these are things that Allah wants. Like, we can't change that. If Allah orders us to do something or orders us to stay away from something... Uh, that's beloved to him. That's what he wants, right? We can't change that fact, period. There's no changing of that. Now, the only thing you can change is, um, am I going to follow it or am I not going to follow it? And the second thing you can change is, am I going to enjoy following it or am I going to hate following it? 
right? So if so, the first isn't really an option, right? We're Muslims. We're we're expected to follow the command of Allah. Now the question is, am I going to follow it willingly, or am I going to follow it dragging my feet and complaining every step of the way, right? Um, that's really the question. So uh, what Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah is saying is that. Um, what the Prophet did in this case is he directed this person to something that would encourage him to keep the laws of Islam. Why not? If, if I have to do any, if I have to fast in the month of Ramadan, why be miserable about it? Why not actually do something that can help me enjoy it? If I have to pray five times a day, why not actually uh, do it in a way that's enjoyable to me and pleasurable to me rather than just make it a burden for me? Because as we mentioned in the last session, if something is a burden for you, chances are it's going to leave you. If something is a pleasure or a passion that you have, chances are it'll stick with you. So if I have to do these tenets of deen, if, if, if I have to, why not, why not actually enjoy it and make it, make it something that I'm passionate about? So he says, um, so, the, so the Prophet directed him to something that would encourage him to keep the laws of Islam and, and accomplish as many of them as he could. Which means the Prophet wasn't changing the sharia for this person. He wasn't saying, you know what, it is difficult. You know what, you don't have to do X, Y, and Z anymore. He says, okay, it is difficult. Well, accept it as difficult. I want you to focus on your dhikr. If you focus on your dhikr, then the effect of the consequence of that is that the laws will become, number one, easier for you. Number two, you'll actually enjoy following the laws of Allah because the pleasure that a believer gets from following the command of Allah, that's a very unique pleasure, right? But it's only going to happen if you're connected to Allah. You, if you haven't experienced it before, then you're missing out on life. Right? I mean, there's a pleasure behind following the command of Allah. The pleasure that comes from pleasing Allah. Just like I just mentioned, right? The Quran that we were just reciting. Like, just push, 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 push. And when you get that last like and everybody finishes that last juz. Like, there's this satisfaction that comes because we pleased Allah in a very unique way. Was it easy pushing ourselves for Quran? No. It wasn't easy, right? You had to, I mean, it was, it was difficult. It's not like you're sitting and watching, you know, Game 7. That's entertainment. Quran is not, you know, there's a little bit of exertion required. So, okay, so he says, um, it would make, okay, so uh, he, he encouraged this person he, towards something uh, that, uh, sorry, he directed him to something that would encourage him to keep the laws of Islam um, and to accomplish as many of them as he could. Because if he took the remembrance of Allah as his watchword, it would make him beloved to Allah. It would make what is loved by Allah loved by him as well. So when engaging in the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala, naturally what happens is that those things that Allah loves, you begin to love as well, right? Uh, those things that Allah hates, you begin to hate as well. This is a hadith of the Prophet about, about the importance of uh, uh, to, to love what Allah loves for the sake of Allah um, uh, and to hate what Allah hates as well. For there is no way to, of approach that Allah loves more than the laws of Islam. Meaning that when a believer becomes closer to Allah, the sharia comes part and parcel with it. Allah loves when you follow his commands. Like, that's it. You can't negate the commands of deen and just engage in the dhikr of Allah. You can't negate the commands in deen and think that you're making Allah happy. He's saying, for there is no way that, of approach that Allah loves more than the laws of Islam. If a believer decides, to, I'm going to sacrifice my desires for the sake of my Lord, and I'm going to fulfill whatever my Lord wants me to fulfill, Allah loves that more than anything. Allah loves that more than anything. It's kind of like a parent telling a child that, look, you know, I, I, uh, I really want you to get an A in this class. Do your best. And that kid comes back with an A. You know, the parent really feels happy because it follow, they followed through on that command. You know, could you take the trash out? And the child does it. You know, if the child sits in his room and says, Dad, 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 and the thicket of Dad all day, Dad doesn't really care. You didn't take out the trash. That's what I wanted you to do, right? But if remembering Dad, 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 Dad helps me take out the trash, 
uh, and I can I can follow that, then I'm happy and Dad's happy, right? But ultimately, Dad wants to trash out. That's what he wants. So in the same way, Allah Ta'ala wants the commands to be fulfilled. And what are the different ways? There's different ways. And dhikr is the one that we're highlighting over the course of this week. And this is the way by which it becomes easier to fulfill the commands of Allah. For there is no way of approach that Allah loves more than the laws of Islam. The Messenger Sallallahu was directing that Bedouin to something that would enable him to follow those laws. Something that would make them easy for him. And that thing was the remembrance of Allah Most High. If we have to do it anyway, why not make it easy for us? If, if Why not make it something that we enjoy doing? So this is what we're learning from here. And it brings, a, there's a lot of points to take from this. You know, think about when a person accepts Islam, right? Like what do we do? We flood them with laws, right? Do's and don'ts. You got to look this way. You got to walk that way. You got to talk this way. You have to leave this. You have to leave that. This is laws. But laws are not appealing to people. Laws are restrictive. The human being doesn't in general like laws, right? Um, unless they feel like there's some benefit in them for that. So how do you get that new person to Islam? Or even, let's say, the Muslim who really wasn't practicing, who now decides that they want to practice deen. How do you get them to enjoy practicing deen? Through the dhikr of Allah. Fill their heart with the love of Allah, and everything else will follow through. Right? Rather than focus on the laws, let them know, look, there are laws, but that comes with time. And over time, you'll, you, if, if, if you begin to like them, you'll, you're more likely to do them. Um, so in general, we should encourage new Muslims to deen and people that are uh, turning back toward deen that have left deen, encourage them toward the dhikr of Allah. It's easy. It could be pleasurable. They can enjoy it. Uh, there's no restrictions. There's no mandates. Tell them that, look, the deen is about loving Allah and about filling your hearts with the love of Allah. And if you do this, the laws will come after. Don't fixate on the laws, right? The laws are, that, that, that will come with time. Um, but you don't see this in the community. How many times have you told a convert this is important? To, it's important to engage in the dhikr of Allah. You don't. You tell them that hey, you can't. We can't. You can't uh, eat at McDonald's anymore, right? Look, if the person wants to eat at McDonald's initially, okay, get them on the dhikr of Allah, and when their heart becomes more inclined toward the Sharia, they're gonna leave. You know these places anyway. You don't have to tell them. It comes on its own. You know, I, I look at all the times when I interacted with my sheikh. I honestly cannot remember like more than one or two times where he actually told me to follow some, you know, principle of sharia. Like, I can't remember it. He would just push me toward dhikr and push me toward good company and push me toward, you know, engaging in Allah's remembrance. And all the other things just fell into place. Then I was like, oh, I actually do want to do this. Or I actually do want to do that. That just comes secondary. So anyways, this should be, this should be the general approach when we're working on people, uh, for those of us that work on people, and even for ourselves. If we feel like there's a, a law of deen that's difficult for us, don't negate it. Accept that it's Allah's command. Ask that He make it easy for you. And if you engage in Allah's remembrance, that will become e that will become easy for you. Um, okay. The next thing. So this he's going to tie. This is point number fifty-eight. Remembrance is one of the greatest ramparts of obedience. Ta'ati. Uh, uh, making it lovable, easy, and pleasant for the servant. Again, remembrance is one of the greatest ramparts of obedience, making it level, lovable, easy, and pleasant for the servant. The place where he finds rest, he or she finds rest, favor, and joy, rather than the weight, toil, and burden it is for the heedless man. Experience will bear this out. So he's saying that uh, obedience to Allah Ta'ala, um, if, if we have to be obedient to Allah anyway, uh, you either go about it the hard way or the easy way. That's like we just said. Remembrance is that way that makes obedience to Allah lovable, easy, and pleasant. Right? This is the way of th this is what this is what the tasawwuf tries to do. What it does is it takes a person 
and it tries to fill their heart with Allah's love so that deen becomes pleasurable and then you want to practice deen. Uh, rather than deen become a burden and you don't want to practice it, right? Um, so this is what the soul of does. Uh, and, and the soul of highlights, uh, or dhikr in general, but the soul of uh, uh, in particular. Um, the place where he finds rest, favor, and joy rather than the weight, toil, and burden it is for the heedless man. Someone who the who's in a ghafil, just heedless of Allah, to them, deen is just a big burden. Oh, I got to fast for 30 days. You know, I got to, how, uh, how am I supposed to wake up for fajr in the summer? That's impossible. I mean, who's going to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning? You know, there's just complaint after complaint after complaint. Eventually, they just, they just, they just leave it all together. Uh, but a person who's a thakir, remembers Allah, it's like Fajr, man. I get to put some put my sleep away for the sake of my Allah and make Him happy in that way. Wow, I'm doing it. Wow, I get to come to the masjid and be forgiven if I sit here for ten days in the month of Ramadan. I'm in. You know, it's a pleasure. It's 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 enjoyable. Um, you know, it's lovable, right? And you know, you can you can see you can you can see the effects of dhikr ha happening on all of us. You know, even just talking about dhikr, we feel this effect. Um, then he says, experience will bear this out. <laughs> Right, it, like, like we said last night, uh, dhikr is something you just have to do and see the effect of it. I can't tell you and, and, and have you believe with certainty that dhikr is going to soften your heart and want you to love the commands of Allah. The best way for you to know is to actually engage in the dhikr of Allah and see what effect it has on your approach to the commands of Allah. So he says experience will bear this out, just like anything in life. Um, you have to do it, you have to try it out to get, to get a feel for it. Okay, next. Um, actually no, let me see um, Oh yeah, so, so going back So that means that for us, practically speaking uh, Get on a routine of dhikr If you're on a routine of dhikr and you're on it consistently Make that your focus and see how the commands of Allah Ta'ala fall into your life See how the sunnah comes into your life Like you don't have to pr like actively go out of the way The sunnah will enter into your life You'll want it You'll want it Okay, we're going to shift gears here The next point, 59 Um just want to make sure we can finish this in time. Okay. Uh, the mention of Allah Almighty smooths what is rough, meaning the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala, it smooths what is rough, eases what is difficult, and lightens what is heavy. As soon as Allah Ta'ala is mentioned, every road is smoothed, every difficulty eased, every burden lightened, every hardship removed, and every woe lifted. The remembrance of Allah Ta'ala is the ease that follows difficulty, the relief that follows hardship, care, and woe, and this is further explained in the bottom. So, um, look, the, uh, the way Allah Ta'ala has created this world, it's a world, a place of difficulty. And uh, no, one can, uh, no one can get around that. You can't circumvent it. Everyone's going to be challenged with difficulty. Everyone's going to be challenged with hardship. Everyone's going to have a rough time from time to time. Some roads are going to be smooth. Some roads are going to be rough. So how do you get through life when you have this turmoil that's always like behind you? Maybe if you're you know, 15 or 20 years old, you haven't seen it yet. But wait till you get a little bit older. You'll see. I mean, challenge comes from so many different directions. And how do you get through these challenges? Right? Like, it's not easy. Um, you can't avoid them. Like, you can't predict that someone in your family is going to lose their life. You can't, I'm sorry, you can't prevent that from happening. 
You can't prevent a storm from coming and tearing down your home. You can't prevent it. If Allah written it, it's ha if, if it's written to happen, it's going to happen. So uh, how do you, what, what tools do you have in your pocket to help you get through this, right? This almost comes in psychology, they call this uh, resilience. The ability to withstand a difficulty and the ability to bounce back from a difficulty. Some people are more resilient than others. Um, but uh, what's, what, is it, what tools are available for a Muslim uh, in order to, to, to increase their resolve and their resilience and their ability to uh, counter the difficulties of this world? It's the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The mention, I'm going to read it again. The mention of Allah Ta'ala Almighty, it smooths what is rough, eases what is difficult, and it lightens what is heavy. As soon as Allah is mentioned, the word Allah, the name of Allah Ta'ala Himself being taken, it's powerful. And it, with that name, every road, every rough road is smoothed, every difficulty is eased, and every burden is lightened. Every hardship removed and every woe lifted. Now, how is that possible? Look, if this world is a place of musliba and it's a place of difficulty, and we have to accept that it's a place of difficulty, wouldn't it be easier for me to accept it if I appreciated that there was an Allah versus if I appreciated that there was not an Allah, right? If I didn't know there was an Allah, then I'm going through all this difficulty for what? For what purpose? So that I could just die at age 70 and be done with my life so I had misery and then I just end the, leave this world and I'm done? What kind of life would that be, right? Um, what what a what a what a miserable life! But if I have to go through this difficulty anyway, and I know that there is a being who's the do the 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 fa the true doer, the fa'il haqiqi of this world, and that everything comes from him, then it brings this contentment and peace into my life. If I know that there is a being who's going to hold people accountable, then no matter how much harm people bring me in this world, I know that there's a day of judgment and Allah Ta'ala will just take care of it. That brings a lot of sukoon and peace into the heart, right? If I know that um, this world is just transient and that there's a being who's created a permanent world of happiness and bliss, it makes it far easier to withstand and bounce back from the trials and tribulations of this world. Does that make sense? So the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala provides this for us, right? Like the more I engage in the dhikr of Allah, the more I begin to internalize this concept that Allah is fa'al haqiqi. So what do I mean by that? Look, everybody knows that Allah is in charge. Some difficulty comes your way. Let's say somebody passes away, right? And someone that's very close to you passes away. What does everybody in the community say? You know, it's okay. They return back to Allah. You know, they, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted this to happen. He's written for this to happen, etc. Um, it's... Um, you know it Academically you know it You know that that's the case But your emotions don't sit with it still You still have a very difficult time dealing with it It's because you know academically That Allah is fa'al haqiqi And He made this happen But you don't have the uh, internal uh, But you haven't internalized this How do you internalize this concept That Allah is fa'al haqiqi It's by doing dhikr on the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We know that there is a jannah So no matter what difficulty you go through in this world it will all be replaced with Jannah anyway. So why would you be? Why would you have such a difficult time with the challenges in this world? It's because academically we know it, but we haven't internalized. Academically we know it, right? We know there's a hadith that, that the Prophet ﷺ says that the person who had the most difficulty in this world, the most difficulty, more than all of us combined, the most difficulty in this world, and day judgment will be taken. It'll be dipped into Jannah for just one moment and taken out, one second and be taken out. 
And that person will be asked at what, in, your, uh, in your prior life, in the dunya, did you experience any difficulty? And that person will say, no, I didn't experience any difficulty. Why? One moment of the experience of Jannah, of being dipped into Jannah, barely having enough time to look around, will be so amazing that that person will forget that they had any hardship in this world. So now that I've said that hadith to you, academically, you would think that, wow, honestly, whatever I go through in this world, I don't really care. Because ultimately, I'm, Jannah is, inshallah, the destination for the believers. Throw whatever you want at me. Now, as much as I say that, once you go through the difficulty, it's not the same, right? It's because academically you understand this concept and it makes sense from the standpoint of your cognition. But you haven't, we haven't been able to internalize this. If we can internalize this idea that this world is passing and that Jannah is permanent, then it would make it much easier to bounce back from difficulties and trials and tribulations in this world. Make sense? Yes? I see a lot of tired faces. Um, maybe we can end the session short then, inshallah. Um, I'll just finish this then and we'll, we'll conclude, inshallah. Um, the, uh, so it's important for us to internalize this. We have to internalize this because then it will make it easier for us to, to, to have to deal with the roughness of this world. What's the way by which you internalize these principles? You internalize it by the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now, after hearing all that, let's go and read what he wrote again. The mention of Allah Ta'ala Almighty smooths what is rough, eases what is difficult, and lightens what is heavy. So when you're going through a rough patch and you can really hone in on Allah and you hear the word or the name Allah and you can internalize the name Allah, it really does bring this sukun to you that you can't get from anything else based off of everything else that we just discussed. As soon as Allah Almighty is mentioned, every road is smoothed. Every difficulty eased, every burden lightened, every hardship removed, and every woe lifted. Meaning, you're, you're still going to have these, but you're not going to feel it as much. Um, the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala is the ease that follows difficulty, the relief that follows hardship, care, and woe. And this is further explained by what follows. Um, maybe we can cover one more. You guys up for it? Okay. Um... Okay, the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala alleviates fear from the heart. But keep in mind, the sessions are optional, so if you, if you, you're more than welcome to step aside. This is completely optional, so I, I feel bad holding you back. But if you, you want to read Quran or something, by all means. The remembrance of Allah Ta'ala Almighty alleviates fear from the heart and has the wondrous effect of bringing about security. For someone who is frightened and seized by fear, there is nothing more beneficial than to mention Allah Almighty. Okay, let me read that again. The remembrance of Allah Ta'ala alleviates fear from the heart and has the wondrous effect of bringing about security. For someone who is frightened and seized by fear, there is nothing more beneficial than to mention Allah Almighty. Um, so this kind of ties into what we just talked about. Um, that if... Fear has overtaken you. Fear of people, fear of someone, fear of something, worry, right, has overtaken you. Then um, you won't be able to eliminate that. That's part of being a human being. And some of the physiologic experiences that come with fear and emotion, you probably won't be able to control them fully. But at least the thoughts 
can be suppressed by the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Actually, more than just the thoughts. Even the physiologic response, technically, through engagement in certain types of dhikr, like muraqaba in particular, you can alleviate it. But at least at the bare minimum, the uh, the racing thoughts or the negative thoughts, you can say, these things can be controlled by the dhikr of Allah ta'ala. The dhikr of Allah alleviates the fear from the heart and has a wondrous effect of bringing about security for someone who is frightened and seized by fear. There is nothing more beneficial than to mention to Allah Almighty. Look, going back to this idea that this world is just transient and Allah ta'ala is fa'al haqiqi. Like, the w- best way I can explain this to you is by explaining it to you in this way. There's a hadith of the Prophet that says, uh, that if a person recites three times in the morning and three times in the evening the following dua, um, then no harm can come their way. Period. Right? Bismillah, in the name of Allah, لا يضر معسميه With His name, no harm uh, can come. Uh, in this world or in the heavens. No harm can come this way. No harm can come this way. And he is all hearing and he is all knowing. Now, if you know what this, if you see the power of this hadith that Allah Ta'ala is promising through the Prophet that you recite this and no harm can become your way, Allah Ta'ala is fully in charge. If you can internalize that, what fear can you have in this world? Like what fear could you have? Allah's in charge. He's saying that take my name, Bismillahilladhi with his name being that powerful that no harm can reach a person if you recite this three times. Now think about how powerful that statement is. Right? So then when you think about it, at least cognitively speaking, like what fear could a person have if I'm constantly thinking about my Allah? If some difficulty comes my way, I know it came from Allah. I know the way out is from Allah. If some harm came to me, I know that it only came to me because Allah Ta'ala permitted it to come. You know, the other hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in which the Prophet ﷺ says that, um, that uh, you know, would the entire uh, world come together and try to bring harm to you, it would not be possible except that Allah willed it. I mean, do you know how powerful that is psychologically on a person? To think that my Allah is protecting me from the entire world. And if there's some harm that he wants to bring, it's going to be through him. He's protecting me ultimately anyway. That's so powerful, right? That's what people are dreaming to hear. That they have some being that's that powerful that controls every aspect of good or harm that can come their way. And he protects them from every evil that can come their way. His name is so powerful that it can protect from every evil. That's... I mean, the peace and security that comes from that, knowing that Allah is in charge, number one, that he is my wali, number two, that he can, that no harm can come except from him. And number three, number four, if I mention his name in the morning three times with this dua, that no harm can come my way no matter what anybody plots or plans against me. I mean, what, that's, that's peace and security. What fear can I possibly have? Now, the only way you can internalize all of this is through the dhikr of Allah. If you, you have to be infatuated by Allah and his greatness and his magnificence in order for this to become a part of your daily life. Yes, today it sounds great. When I'm telling you this, no fear in your mind, no fear in your heart. If I, everyone feels very comfortable right now. We're in a very comfortable space. We're hearing about this comfort. No fear. You get out into the real world and then you just fall right flat on your face and you're back. So why is it that you get back into the real world and all of a sudden you're fearing everything? It's because we haven't internalized this. A constant routine of dhikr will help you internalize this. Um... Not only will it help you internalize it, it will also help you to call upon Allah 
when you're in difficulty. You know, I'm going to go back to this one statement that we covered in the last retreat, this hadith of the Prophet that when the servant seeks to know his Lord through remembrance in times of ease, the Lord will know him in times of hardship. Okay? When the servant seeks to know his Lord through remembrance in the times of ease, the Lord will know him in times of hardship. Meaning, get to know Allah Ta'ala when things are going well for you, and Allah Ta'ala will know you and remember you when things are not going so well for you. A saying with this meaning states that when an obedient servant who regularly calls on his Lord, regularly you make dua and do dhikr of Allah Ta'ala, calls on his Lord, is afflicted by some adversity. When it, when, I'm going to say it again. A saying with this meaning says that when an obedient servant who regularly calls on his Lord is afflicted by some adversity or asks something of Allah, the angels exclaim, O Allah, O Lord, a familiar voice from a familiar servant. We've heard this voice before, right? This is a familiar voice. We've heard this one before. This, we've seen, we, we, he, this person would always you know, call your great name, raise your name. There, he didn't have any need. She didn't have any need. They, were, they weren't going through some difficulty. They just wanted to remember you. And now they're in difficulty. Oh, we, we've heard this voice before. But if it is a servant who neither heeds nor obeys his Allah, the angels say, an unknown voice from an unknown servant. We don't know who this person is. We never heard their, we never, we've never taken their uh, dhikr to Allah. We, we never heard them calling on Allah. Now they're, who are, who are you? You know, like now you want help? We have we don't even know who you are. Like sign up, you know. You have to register first. You don't even register yet. Like what, who are? What's your background? What's your social security number? We never heard your voice, right? Uh, but on the flip side, a person who's already been registered, who's already been a part of communicating with Allah Taala, the angels already know this person. This guy, oh yeah, we see him all the time. Oh, you're going through that? Okay, take here. Here you go. You're taken care of. So um, the final point that he mentioned. So going back to this point. Mm, so let me just read this again. The remembrance of Allah Almighty alleviates fear from the heart and has a wondrous effect of bringing about security. For someone who is frightened and seized by fear, there is nothing more beneficial than to mention Allah Almighty. And in proportion to his remembrance, he will find security even in the thing that had previously caused him fear. Right? So Ibn Qayyim is saying, you're not going to remove that external force that's causing you to have fear. And I wouldn't say just external force. For some people, internally, there's this fear that... that um, it's almost like an anxiety um, that they can't get rid of. So you can't get rid of that. You have to accept that that, that force is going to be there. So Al-Qaim is saying that uh, the deeper the, the deeper that you engage in dhikr, right, the, the, in proportion to his remembrance, he will find security. So the deeper you are in dhikr, the more security and peace you will find. The heedless man may be completely safe yet afraid. And all the safety he has will only increase his fear. <laughs> Subhanallah, this is, this is very deep. The heedless man may be completely safe yet afraid. This is actually what anxiety is. It's, uh, or, yeah, uh, pathologic anxiety. It's this fear of something happening to you or the possibility of something happening without there actually being an external threat. Right? It's all internal. It's all internal. There's no external threat, but you, uh, your, your response is out of proportion to the stimulus. Right? That's what anxiety is. Somebody says, hey, you get a phone call, and it's from someone, you know, you have a number that you don't know, and all of a sudden, like, you're like, oh my gosh, who is this? Who could it be? Could, you know, is this is somebody in the hospital? You know, are they gonna, am I going to be fired? You know, is this the IRS coming after me? All these thoughts go through your mind. Your heart starts racing. Your mind starts thinking. Before you pick up the phone, you pick up the phone, and it's a robocall. Right? <laughs> Like, but that's what that's what uh, you know. Pathologic anxiety is. It's a it's a heightened sense of fear and a response to fear that's out of proportion to the stimulus. So um, this is what he's saying: the heedless man 
uh, may feel uh, may be completely safe, meaning like there's actually no active threat around you, but that person yet still feels afraid. It's a chronic worry, right? And all the safety he has will only increase his fear. So what happens when a person has a lot of anxiety? They begin to take a ton of precautions. They begin to like you know bubble boy. They they, they begin to wear uh, like a germaphobe, for instance. They'll take even more precaution. They'll wash their hands 20 times a day. They won't shake anyone's hand. They'll do this, 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 and this, and this because of their fear of germs. Um, and then the more they engage, the more they the more they, um, the uh, the more they try to protect themselves, uh, they're actually perpetuating that behavior because it's making it worse in the long run. Rather than coming to terms with it and saying that, look, my my fear and my worry is actually out of proportion. So rather than act upon it further, I'm going to actually take a step back and 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 try to sort this out through some you know behavioral therapy or something. So uh, this is the same thing, right? Like he's saying, uh, the heedless man may be completely safe, yet that person's afraid inside. Uh, there's no active threat around them, yet internally they're afraid. And all of the safety he has will only increase his fear even more, right? He, he takes even more and more precaution. With more precaution comes even more worry and even more more uh, uh, inter- internal worry. Um, so this is the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's remembrance. It's, it doesn't, it's not going to eliminate, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that the dhikr of Allah will eliminate um, all your fears and all your worries and all your negative thoughts, right? Nor am I suggesting that it will eliminate and it's a cure for necessarily like, you know, clinical anxiety or depression. I'm not suggesting that, but certainly it plays a role. And for the vast majority of people, it plays a significant enough of a role that it can maintain you. And that's important. It can maintain you through the ups and downs of life. So begin to think about dhikr as this tool that can help sustain you, maintain you through the trials and tribulations that are going to come no matter what. Rather than live through this world miserably, uh, having to deal with trial after trial after trial, uh, begin to take dhikr as your tool that can help you withstand, rebound, and be resilient through these difficulties and trials. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from difficulties and trials in this world. And when, when He does send them uh, our way, we ask that He subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us to be, um, to be strong and, and resilient through them uh, and give us the uh, ease that comes as, as He mentioned in the Quran. Um, and uh, uh, we ask that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make, uh, make His commands uh, and following His commands easy for us and and, and uh, make, make it um, a pleasure for us rather than a burden for us. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.